Okay, have you ever been in your car on a really hot summer day and it's so hot, you just cannot have the air conditioner cranked up enough, you don't have any water, you're like, should I go through the Starbucks line and order something and just get a water on the side? Should I run in a gas station? But you decide to just push through it, get home, you get in the door, get a glass of water, go to the fridge, fill it up, and what do you do? You chug it. (laughs) You're so thirsty. This is biological. It's the biological response to thirst. You take in as much as you can because you haven't had it in a while. Guys, dieting is no different. When you put yourself in a calorie deficit and then are around food, you are biologically set up to want to, like with the water, chug it. (laughs) So today what I want to do is I really want to talk about the science behind why diets don't work. I mean, we are in the season of dieting right now. And I know lots of people have really well-intended New Year's resolutions, but I want to make sure you guys don't get into this dieting trap that biologically sets you up for failure. And unfortunately, in our culture, we tend to think that it's because we don't have willpower and we blame ourselves. Then we start to go into that shame spiral. (laughs) It's just no good all around. So this is what I want to try to debunk today, help you guys get a really clear understanding of why diets don't work so that you can just say no to diets. (laughs) Sounds like a dare commercial. Just say no to drugs and diets. (laughs) Guys, there's a better way. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. It's time to finally break up with dieting and choose to live boldly and unapologetically in that bodacious body of yours. If you've had enough of your inner awesome being eclipsed by body hate and you're drowning in that sea of nutrition info out there, girl, I made this podcast for you. Become the healthiest and most energized version of yourself through confidence, food freedom, faith, and body empowerment from science-backed nutrition and energizing foods with a little wiggle room. Because who doesn't want a side of donuts and a little wine does the body good? (laughs) I'm Jess, a body bully warrior, registered dietitian, and food freedom guru. I believe that when we stop letting culture define health, beauty, and what we should and shouldn't eat, we can finally live free in our own bodies. Are you ready to channel your inner awesome at a whole nother level? Grab a cup of coffee or lace up those running shoes and let's dive in to today's show. Okay, have you guys seen Inside Out the movie? If you haven't, stop this podcast and go watch it. It's a really good movie. But if you have, you know it's a movie about, um, it has these really cute characters that demonstrate the inner workings of a child's brain and I really love it you know they've got all the emotions are these little characters all her characteristics or personality traits are islands like she's got family island friend island play island it's a really creative way to demonstrate what's happening in our brains the one part that they don't show is the part of our brain that's responsible for all of our day-to-day functions so I think of this part of the brain, like if you were to walk into this room in, in the movie Inside Out, it would be this giant room filled with scales. And I'm not talking about like the scales you hop on in the morning to weigh yourself, which by the way, if you're doing that a lot and don't feel good about it, listen to episode number two on my podcast. But it's a bunch of these scales, like the ones that have the two levers and they're trying to keep the weight in balance. So it's a bunch of these scales and a bunch of Rube Goldberg machines If you remember the game Mousetrap, that was a Rube Goldberg machine where you have the marble and it rolls and it causes one thing to cause another thing to cause another thing. 
So I'm envisioning the part of our brain that's in charge of our day-to-day biological metabolical functions to be this giant room of scales and Rube Goldberg machines. Because that's essentially what it is. It's this constant balance of hormones, electrolytes, neurons, reactions that cause something else to happen. These day-to-day functions are things that we just don't think about, like the balance of our hormones, our internal temperature, that thermoregulates itself automatically, our digestion, our heart rate, and to some extent, some of our animal reactions, like our fight or flight response. This part of our brain is highly intellectual, very complicated, and deeply involved in all of the metabolic processes in our body. When this part of our brain senses a calorie deficit, which is what happens when we're on a diet, it has no idea that you're a human in the year 2021 who's decided that your New Year's resolution was to lose weight. No, all it does is registers calorie deficit, not enough energy, probably a famine. It's time to go into protection mode. Let's go ahead and slow everything down. So there's this ripple effect when the metabolism slows down. So before we go into that ripple effect, let's talk a little bit about metabolism. So your thyroid is in charge of balancing your metabolism. Your thyroid uses iodine to make thyroxine or T4. So if you've ever gotten your lab work done, T4 is one of the hormones produced by the thyroid. And then our body goes through a chemical process that turns T4 into the active form, which is T3. And that is what directly impacts our metabolic rate. This is what's so cool about the body is it has this ability to adapt and adjust. So when the body doesn't have enough nutrition it doesn't actually turn that T4 into the active molecule T3. Instead, what it does is it takes T4 and it it turns it into reverse T3. Interestingly, this is actually what bears produce when they go into hibernation. So our body is literally creating a protective hibernative state in the absence of nutrition. Now, if you're wondering, okay, shoot, Jess, I have already started dieting. I'm in a calorie deficit and now you're freaking me out because I'm in hibernation state. Ooh, that's not good. So I've got some good news for you. I'm going to link a full one hour and 45 minute lecture on this in my show notes. So if you want more information, go there. But long story short, to help reverse this process, there are a couple things you can do. So you can actually add in more salt, seafood or seaweed, because that's going to give the thyroid more iodine to work with. So one of the major limiting factors in Converting that T4, that thyroxine hormone into T3, the active molecule, is nutrition, specifically zinc and selenium. So if you want to help amplify that process or restore that process and stop this, the production of the reverse T3 kicking you into the hibernative state, we got to give the body zinc and selenium. So you can get zinc from foods like oysters, pumpkin seeds, and nuts, and you can get selenium from Brazil nuts. So I literally just said that if you eat seafood and nuts, you can reverse this hibernation state. So think about what bears eat when they wake up from hibernation. They usually eat berries, nuts, and salmon. So if you're looking to restore your diet from a hypometabolic state, we got to eat like bears who are coming out of hibernation. So we've got this highly complicated, complex part of our brain that has really reverted back to this instinctual, not enough energy protection mode. And this causes such, there's a a ripple effect that happens here. So aside from decreased metabolism, we start to see a decrease in hormone production. I've seen this to happen to the extent that hormones are reduced to pre-adolescent levels. This becomes even more complicated when we 
see this interplay of increased stress hormones from, you know, it might be from the diet or it might just be from the fact that it, life is stressful. There's a lot going on. So we have that increase in stress, but then we now we have a decrease in sex hormones. And this really wrecks havoc on our bone density and starts to amplify how quickly calcium is pulled from the bones. And I see that a lot in my runners who, you know, they're running minimum of 20 miles a week, upwards of 70 to 80 miles a week. And they have to work really hard to eat enough fuel to keep up with that energy expenditure. And when they're not able to do that, we see the downplay in sex hormones, loss of period. And then eventually osteopenia and osteoporosis present. And unfortunately, we don't pick up on that because you can't feel weak bones, not until there's truly a stress fracture or a break that's occurring. The other major change that's ignited when we're in this defense mode is that the brain is in a vigilant and anxious state. And it's going to stay in this state for quite some time. So I think of it like I'm teaching my little boy, my four-year-old, how to ride a bike right now. And we took him to the park and he started doing really well. He was really excited and then he fell and he got, you know, he skinned his knee, he's cut up his hands, it hurt him pretty bad. Well, it scared him. And so when I put him back on the bike, he was really, you know, he's vigilant. He was nervous. He didn't want me to let go. He kept saying, (laughs) he's so cute. He's like, mama, don't stop holding my behunkus. That's what he calls the back seat. (laughs) You know, he, he was nervous for some period of time after that. It took us a couple days until he was able to relax and attempt riding a bike again. Well, our brain in this anxious state is the same. It's like, I am in danger. I'm in, I'm vulnerable. I need to be careful and it's going to stay there for some time. I see this to be really predominant in individuals with anorexia. So I'll have someone who is malnourished come in and I will explain to her some of the, you know, metabolic consequences of anorexia and not eating enough. And truly none of it can even soak into her brain. She can't comprehend it because her brain is in such a hypervigilant state. She, one, doesn't trust me and two, doesn't have the glucose on board to absorb the information and retain it in her brain. So I always know coming in, if I've got someone who's malnourished, chances are I'm going to have to have a very similar conversation twice about metabolism and why they need the food that I'm recommending. Okay, so we've got this decrease in metabolism, altered hormone function, and then the brain is in this hypervigilant, anxious state. And the thing about this part of our brain is that it's trying to protect itself. Well, we are not in a day and age where that's the only job. We're in the middle of working, managing a family, trying to get a workout in, managing a relationship if we're in one. I mean, we're juggling a million different things on top of the basic reptilian part of our brain being in chaos. Now, how the body physiologically responds to the brain in this state really varies from person to person. And this is likely largely due to genetic subtleties that we haven't quite pinpointed yet. And it probably has to do with our history as well. Like what what was your metabolism like growing up? Was there dieting and rebound weight gain there? I mean, there's a lot that's going to play into it. So think of it this way. If there are four people in a weight loss challenge who all restrict the same amount of calories, their physiological responses are going to vary. So you might have one that has a decreased heart rate, but normal digestion. You might have another that has no change to their heart rate, but develops IBS. You might have one that drops weight really quickly, and then another one that doesn't lose weight at all. You know, from the outside looking in, we might go, oh gosh, that last person must be doing it right. When in reality, there's just something different about that person's metabolism. So you can see how this is incredibly problematic and really frustrating for people that are trying to lose weight. If I'm not considering the science behind this, again, I might chalk it up to willpower 
and think, you know, if I'm the one that is doing the exact same thing as everyone else and I'm the only one not losing weight, I might think, well, gosh, something's wrong with me. And then that shame spiral starts. There's a book called Sick Enough by Dr. Gaudiani. It's really a good read. I'll also put the link in my show notes. But she uses this example. A 35-year-old man might die from liver failure, but a 90-year-old man on his birthday attributes his long life, quote, to the whiskey. So how can this be? Differences in genetic sensitivities to environmental exposures. And I, I cannot stress this enough. I mean, we see it everywhere. It's like some people drink soda and their blood sugar spikes. Other people drink three sodas a day and still don't have diabetes. So how can we explain that? And putting these blanket recommendations for health can be really, really damaging. So when people walk in my door, I'm often trying to convince them to try something new. My goal is to use the subjective evidence of body dysfunction to challenge clients to try something new like intuitive eating, dialing up their carbs. Basically, the things our culture labels as bad, like trust your body and eat more, is what I'm telling my clients to do. So it's the exact opposite of what they've been doing, and that can be really scary. And honestly, this part isn't too hard because normally people walk in and they're already frustrated. They've tried all the diets, they've yo-yoed, and they said, Jess, I'm ready for something new. The hard part comes in getting them to stay with me when we're trying these new things and we don't get that immediate number on the scale to drop. And that's so deeply embedded in our culture that that is the measure of success is that number on the scale going down. So when it doesn't happen, these new experiences get cataloged in with the old experiences and they label it another failure. So my goal is to use this objective evidence of body dysfunction that's created when we go on a diet to challenge clients to not only try something new, but stick with it. You know, I really think there's almost this religiosity about weight loss in our culture. It's become something so deeply embedded in our normal that if we aren't actively working towards weight loss, we're doing something wrong. I mean, I have had people of all shapes and sizes walk into my office saying I'm I'm here to lose weight, whether it's you know, the elusive 10 pounds or 100 pounds, whatever it is, all I know is that it's never enough and focusing on that doesn't work. So if you are in a larger body and you feel uncomfortable, I'm not saying don't do anything. But what I am saying is let's go about this in a way that doesn't rob yourself of nutrition and doesn't activate that decreased energy availability trifecta that I'm talking about, the, the lower metabolism, decrease in sex hormones, and the hypervigilant state. There are absolutely ways to move your body to what I call your biologically appropriate weight. And this is going to be the weight that your body can maintain homeostasis and feel good and feel energetic that is in alignment with where your bone structure is at, your history, where your hormones are in balance. So if you're in a fitness competition or you are a UFC fighter going for a weigh-in, this is not this is not what I'm talking about. But I do think even in those settings or in those instances getting acquainted with what your biologically appropriate weight is can help you go towards goals within that range of where it's still healthy within your body and you're not wrecking havoc on your metabolism. Okay, so what do we do with all this, Jess? I'm uncomfortable in my body. I want to lose weight, but now you're telling me that if I go into this calorie deficit, I'm, I'm really messing with my body at, its bio, at the biological level and I'm setting myself up. So what am I supposed to do? Well, number one, just say no to both drugs and diets. So just say no. And number two, let's start focusing on fueling and moving your body in ways that really serve and build 
your body to be stronger and more in alignment with your values. Now, before I dive into what exactly this means, I need to be really clear again that if you are looking for that quick fix, ladies, this is not going to get you there. I lay that on the table because I don't want to set your expectations up to make you feel like you have failed because it doesn't work this way. I'll tell you a story about a client of mine. Let's call her um, Sherry. That's not her real name. but So Sherry came to me. She'd been recently diagnosed with a diagnosis that she knew if she carried excess weight, it was going to increase the risk of it returning and it was life-threatening. So she knew she needed to lose some weight. So she comes in my door and she says, decided to commit to a weight loss journey. I have started walking. I'm working with an exercise physiologist and I'm walking every single day and it feels really good, but it's time to introduce the food component. And I said, great, you know, I'm, I'm all on board. Let's do this, Sherry. Well, she says, I cannot diet. And I wanted to hug her because it's like she did two months worth of work for me already. We didn't even have to go there. And I said, okay, you don't want to diet. So how are we going to do this? And she said, I'm going to pay attention and I need you to help me with what I need to be paying attention to. So we came up with some targets for her and you guys, they were, it was nothing crazy. I mean, we focused on her fruit and veggie intake to start. So we upped that. We did that for about, I don't know, three or four weeks. And then we started looking at her protein content, making sure she was getting enough protein. Uh, she was logging her food to help hold herself accountable and bring awareness to what she was eating. We eventually did look at her carbohydrate intake and we tried to modify it to be in alignment with the energy she was expending during the day. This journey for her took about, mm, I think it was a year and a half, almost two years. She lost 178 pounds. She didn't weigh herself every day. She never did anything extreme. All she did was pay attention and she found movement that she enjoyed. And I share that with you because I think it's so important to, to understand that there is no quick fix for weight loss. Guys, the weight loss industry is a $60 billion industry. And that, that stat that I'm quoting, I think it was from 2007. So I'm sure it's higher now, but it is an insanely monetarily productive industry that is really taking advantage and playing on our insecurities. Because when it comes down to it, there there really isn't a magic fix. There are certain things we can modify, like certain foods, certain carb to protein ratios, but there is nothing extreme that has to happen. This woman literally lost 170 pounds by walking and logging her food. What was her secret? She was patient. That was her secret. She trusted the process. She worked with her body. She was constantly adapting and adjusting every day. She gave herself grace if she had a kid's birthday party to attend to and she had a piece of cake. She didn't punish herself by making her go for an extra walk afterwards. I mean, she was just living her life and paying attention and making these small but consistent changes. And, and so if you're one of those people this year that are looking to make some changes to be healthier, and even if weight loss is on there, do me a favor, say no to diets and let's start with some of the basic things. Up your fruits and veggies. Let's look at your protein levels. But what we need to stay away from is kicking our body into this hypometabolic state and this protective state that we are truly just fighting with our body. And what's more is they've done a lot of research on this that kicking our body into that hypometabolic state, restricting it, starving it. And then even if you do lose some weight in that place, and then you come back and you eat more and you regain that yo-yo and that cyclic dieting is harder on the heart than carrying extra weight itself. 
That's right. So carrying extra weight itself is not as dangerous as yo-yo dieting and kicking our body from that restrictive to non-restrictive state. So let's start with some simple things. Start with some fruits and veggies. Start with some movement. And then if you've done those things, we can start taking some more steps, guys. I'm going to be bringing you a lot more information on this as we go, but I just wanted you guys to have this ammo to resist those diets because I know they are coming up on your social media feeds like crazy. They're everywhere. Just say no to diets and drugs. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope today strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you liked today's episode, please take a minute to head on over to iTunes, fuel her awesome podcast, and leave me a review. Ladies, can you imagine how much better our world would be if women everywhere were free from diet culture and misguided nutrition advice, and they had the ability to step into their full potential? If you have a girlfriend in mind that you know is amazing, but she's held back by body, diet, or diet culture hangups, please join the mission and share this episode on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. And if you want more on overcoming body image and insecurity, my 10-step ebook is a great place to start. Head on over to JessBrownRD.com and use the code LOVEMYBODY20 to save 20% through the end of January. Can't wait to chat more. Until next time, babes, cheers and happy eating.